everybody. Welcome back to Head on a Platter with me, Nikki. I do want to say I'm so sorry, guys. I think I said this last time <laughs> um, about trying to make these episodes come out every Monday, but I have this all or nothing mentality where I can't do a little bit of this at a time. I have to do it all in one take or nothing at all. And I'm realizing that's very toxic and not that helpful. So that's why recently a lot of these have been every other Monday because life has just been getting in the way and it's been a lot in a good way, in a good way. We are okay. Um, a lot of heavy spiritual things, but all in all, everything is great. So we're talking about common reasons that I have found in personal relationships of why people choose not to follow Christ and believe in Jesus. So let's just review what we have already gone over. Number one was, I don't need God to be a good person. I do just fine. Number two, Buddha, Hinduism, monks, or some other religion is just as peaceful, and I'd rather listen to that. Number three, there's so many rules, people are too judgmental, and everyone seems miserable. Let's go into four, five, and six. Number four life is meant to be lived. I don't want to miss out on anything and it can't be that bad for me if I like it and it's my choice. I was guilty of this one. Definitely. I wanted to experience as much life as I possibly could uh, just with things that I experienced and maybe you did too of maybe you had really strict parents or maybe you didn't really have the autonomy that you would have liked to have when you were a child, a teenager, or maybe just entering your early 20s. So for me, I didn't really get to do much um, growing up. So I was kind of playing catch up behind all of my peers. And all in all, it's led me to come to this other question of, you know what, are we actually missing out? Or is that merely a lie the enemy tells us? Spoiler alert, it is. Look at Romans 12, 12. Don't be conformed to this world and you'll be able to discern what God's will is. I'm paraphrasing that just so we're just so we're clear. Now, I want you to ask the question, what are you missing out on? What do you feel you're missing out on? Is it things like partying or sex or drugs? Is it a relationship? Is it cloud? Whatever that newest trend is that social media is telling us to go after. Maybe it's society. Now, I also want you to consider what are some things that you currently do that aren't exactly edifying or glorifying to God. And they may not necessarily be an outright sin, and it may not necessarily be a very obvious idol. The idea that we're missing out or God is keeping something from us, something fun, that is a very classic lie from the enemy. If you even think about how the serpent tempted Eve, he didn't say something outrageous that was unbelievable. It was just planting a seed of doubt in Eve's mind. You know, does God really care for you? Does he really have your best interest at heart? And because of our flesh and because of our natural human tendencies, it's very easy to grow that seedling of a doubt 
into something, it's, it's like a weed. It's not necessarily, if you think of like your mind, your body, your spirit as, as a garden of sorts, that is a weed and they're very prolific. I think that's the word. They're very prolific and you want to tend to your garden in the sense of anything that you're doing that is an obvious sin or maybe you're making an idol out of, go ahead and cut those weeds and do it on your own time. Go in with your little shovel. I don't know, actually, I don't know much about gardening, to be honest. But whatever tool that you can use to remove the weeds and cut them, cut them out little by little. Because trust me, it's a lot easier doing it on your own when it's more manageable. Or else the Lord's going to have to come in with his weed whacker or chainsaw even. What if you let that weed grow into this really ugly tree even? God's going to have to come in with a chainsaw and believe me, he loves you so much. He'll cut it down for you, but it is going to be painful. So by us staying in his word and focusing on all of the good things about him that are, that are true, that is how we're able to go ahead and cut out those weeds so they don't grow into something that it's going to be a lot more painful to remove later on. And think about 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not uncommon to man. And God will give you a way out. In James 1, 13, God doesn't tempt us. He himself doesn't tempt anyone. That's the enemy. And as someone with a burning curiosity and veracity for all life has to offer, I do recognize now, and maybe you have too, that sometimes that doesn't include things that are the best for us. I think of the metaphor eating sweets. Feels really good in the moment, but if you don't know when to stop, you'll either feel sick after, or worse, over time, you end up more unhealthy, less likely to be active, or just less able to be active. And that can trap you into a vicious cycle of, I'm, I'm overeating, I don't feel good, I don't wanna work out, I don't wanna go ahead and nourish my body, then you get down on yourself and then, oh, well, look, now I'm not looking the way I want. I don't feel the way I want to feel. Let me reach for the closest comfort, which sometimes is that, that sweet, or it doesn't have to be sweets in, in particular, but something that gives you that quick fix, that rush of dopamine, whatever that quick satisfaction is. Just a metaphor of the, of the sweets because it's pretty, it's pretty universal, I would say. I have my weakness of those little oatmeal chocolate chip cookies from Trader Joe's. You know which ones I'm talking about, the vegan ones. Yeah, I can eat four of those and I'll get really sick afterward, but in those 10 minutes where I'm eating them, it's the greatest thing I can ever do. But all in all, it becomes harder to get out of those consequences than it is to resist. I'll be honest, talking about festivals and clubbing and how easy it is to spiral into that realm and things that fall more under that category. It does look to be a lot of fun and it's just no inhibitions and everyone's having a great time. As you get deeper into your relationship with God and you even see the people who are in these environments, myself included at one point, you see how empty and how vapid and how shallow it all is. I'm gonna bring up this this reference. And if you haven't seen this movie, I would really recommend it. It's like a 1999 or maybe 2000 film. It's called Bedazzled. 
It's starring Brennan Fraser and Elizabeth Hurley, where Brennan Fraser is this absolute dork, and he's trying to get the girl of his dreams, and he meets the devil, which is Elizabeth Hurley. He trades his soul for seven wishes, and you get to see all those seven wishes play out, and it's it's funny. It's one of my favorite movies, honestly, but all jokes aside, it's a it's a good picture into spiritual warfare, into temptation, and also realizing the lies that the devil has for us. It comes wrapped in this shiny, really great package, or what we think is a good package. And then there's always something that doesn't, it doesn't make it last, or there's some twist to it that you, you're paying the, the price for it. And Bedazzled is a good example of that. So if you're looking for something just to watch on Netflix or something, I don't actually know where it's playing, but I would recommend if you would like a movie suggestion. Things that are not good, things that are not from God, that's why I'm using the term or the, the phrase not good, they leave you feeling empty with this ever-growing hole in your heart that will never be satisfied. And I'm saying this as a reminder to the Christians who have, who have been in this walk a little bit longer, but also to new Christians where you don't feel bad if you still feel tempted by worldly things. And I mean, don't feel guilty for being a human. And also, I mean, even if you do fall into temptation, don't feel guilty and dwell on that because your father loves you so much and he doesn't hold that against you. When you have this unconditional love and you recognize that's how God feels about you, that is where the grace comes in, the mercy comes in, and that's where it ignites our drive to love someone. Wow, you accept me exactly as I am, even though I've been making the same mistakes and I'm struggling, but I'm coming to you to help me with this. Because obviously I'm coming to the end of myself and it's a struggle for me. I need your help, God. And admitting that you cannot do this on your own and that you do need a way out, God will provide that for you. Even in my personal experience, Sometimes just admitting to the Lord, I have this problem, it's really becoming an issue, and I'm really ashamed about it. Me coming to him in that space and then letting him tell me how he actually feels about me and then thinking constantly that that is the truth. He does love me. He does forgive me. No matter what I do, just me continuing to pursue him in spite of all these things, he's still proud of me. I mean, how could I not do everything I can to live for him? It's actually very motivating when it takes out the pressure, if you think about it. There's no pressure to perform or to be perfect. It's more, I have this drive that's being filled constantly by his love, and that propels me forward to do what he wants me to do. And if I do stumble, and if I do struggle, and like a regular human being does it's okay. He's not going to condemn me. He's not going to punish me. I liken it a lot to another metaphor of think of a parent with a toddler that's just learning to walk. And the toddler takes a couple steps and then maybe they tumble a little bit. They fall. The parent, well, a good parent, wouldn't be upset at the toddler thinking, come on, how come you can't do this? Like they just learned that they had legs maybe two weeks ago and they're trying to use them. That's how our father thinks of us. He is that loving parent. 
and he's proud of you each step that you take that is toward him. And yes, you're going to tumble. And you know what? He is a good parent. He'll help you back up. And as you grow and as you age, you become, you go from a toddler to a child to a teenager. He doesn't necessarily need to help you get up. You know how to stand. And now you're running. Now you're running marathons. But however you want to take this metaphor, as long as you're not going backward in the sense of now you've kind of been in your walk for a while and say you stumble. Let's pretend you're, you're a spiritual teenager at this point. Maybe someone who's been, you know, two, three years in their walk or so. And you fall not behaving as though you can't get up or you don't know how to because you do know how to. You've already learned these lessons. And don't get me wrong. If you really needed it and you were really stuck wherever you're at, God will help you up. He will give you that way out. However, I, w- I wouldn't assume a teenager would forget how to stand or if it, we get it, we trip and such. But I think you can see where I'm going with this in this metaphor. So in, in the spirit of life is meant to be lived, it is. It totally is. However, it's not meant to be lived selfishly. It's not meant to be lived like it's only for my pleasure, for Nikki's pleasure or your pleasure. It's supposed to be my only objective in this life or my my main objective and everything kind of stems from this is I need to know who Jesus Christ is and accept who he is and praise him the way he needs to be praised. Your second goal after you've done your own goal is to help people achieve their one goal of knowing and accepting Jesus. So anything you do to help someone along the way, that's already a win. No matter how tiny you may perceive it to be, that could have the biggest impact later on. And besides, God isn't this terrible parent that's withholding love or information from us. If you look at the Ten Commandments, God doesn't tell us not to do something unless it's bad for us spiritually or for other people in the long run. And that's where the shift should come in of the which we which ties back into an earlier reason we had before of there's too many rules and such getting out of that mindset of this is just rules and if god really loves me well he let me do whatever i want well he does want you to do whatever you want he just wants you to make decisions that are going to be he knows that not everything is good for us because not everything in this world is good this is not there is a ruler here and Jesus will take it back. But for the time being, we're under Satan's domain now. This is his kingdom. And we're just trying to fight that spiritual battle to get as many people on the winning side as we possibly can. There's some tragedy in my life that was terrible or I've seen terrible things happen to others. And if God was so good, why would he allow it? This is a very valid reason, in my opinion. I understand where the logic goes for for pre-believers i like that i'm gonna i'm actually gonna keep using that term pre-believers if you're reading all of these for god to love the world and he gave his only begotten son okay yeah that's great but why is there why is there cancer why is there tragedy why is there kidnapping why is there fraud why is there white lies whatever you want to call it all these things that are not good why does he allow it i'm glad you asked just because it happens 
doesn't mean God condones it. It's not that he finds it acceptable. The problem is he loves us so much that he will never force us or overtake us or in any other way force himself upon us for us to love him. He loves us so much that he gave us a free will. And unfortunately, that also comes with some people deciding to abuse that. A second part to to this answer, following God and becoming more Christ-like absolutely does not guarantee a tragedy-free life, unfortunately. I know we wish it did, but then if it did, we'd sort of get in, we'd creep into the realm of works-based faith of, okay, well, my life, it should be a reflection of how well I'm doing in God's eyes, right? The more I obey him, the easier things should be, right? Yes and no. No, in the sense of it may look as though things aren't going great and maybe they're not. Maybe circumstantially, they're not going well. But if you're in tune with God and you're listening to him, you feel a sense of peace knowing even though this external circumstance is not what I would like it to be, I have peace knowing I'm listening to my Heavenly Father. So it's easier in that sense where you're not second-guessing yourself and you're not questioning yourself and you're putting your faith and your trust that he will tell you what you need to hear. So I think all in all, the argument of why does God allow it will because he loves us. And I phrased it like that on purpose. He loves us so much that he will not force us to love him. As not great as this is to realize, the reason there's evil in this world is 100%, it's because of us, because we have free will and we aren't mindless robots merely programmed to worship God. He isn't so egotistical that he even needs that. But if we truly believe that God is our father and he's looking out for us, we do have to trust that he sees all of the injustice that's being done to us and to others we love and on a global scale and his heart does break for us and anyone who's in pain. But also, this is a reminder that by following what he says, what he's instructing us to do, because remember, he's the mastermind behind this whole thing. He sees everything and everyone at every single point in time. When he's convicting you to do something or to not do something, it's because he sees the scale that's way beyond you. And he's doing this He's convicting us to do or not do something so we also don't cause pain not only to ourselves but to others as well. And that's where it's challenging for Christians sometimes to be selfless and to deny the desires of the flesh, the selfish desires of the flesh, so we can think of that greater good the way God does. And it's it's not easy. I'll be the first to admit I was a very selfish person and I'm working toward I've, I've shifted my mindset and now that my mindset is shifted I'm in the process of working on new habits and I thought because of what I experienced in my life well I get to have autonomy and control over my time and energy and yes that's definitely true but I will tell you this for anyone who's in a similar 
boat of maybe you gave too much and you were betrayed or anything down that avenue, you end up more spiritually exhausted because you're focusing so much on preserving your own supply where you're not directly taking from God. And when you're only focusing on yourself, other people are less inclined to pour into you as well. We have to share the spiritual resources here in a sense. You know, if you have a friend who's down and you can just give them even a kind word and merely just being there for them and listening, that's enough. That's sharing your spiritual resources. And then, of course, praying for them and whatnot and that process as well. I know we aren't perfect, but we should be striving for excellence, not perfection. There's only one perfect human being on this planet, and that was Jesus Christ. The Lord knows how hard this life is for us, how human we are. This is why Jesus went away by himself to pray so often. It was to recharge himself from the daily toll that it takes on us to be good to each other. That's not a bad thing. This isn't, it's not us being selfish. It's us taking the time to find rest in him so we are able to have our cups be filled. And then when God inevitably overflows into our cup, we send that overflow to other people. But you really can't pour from an empty cup because if you're doing that, if you're pouring from a half-filled cup and you haven't really been, you haven't been in the word or you haven't been praying or X, Y, Z, whatever you pour into someone else, you're almost left with nothing. And then you end up bitter and resenting that you did that. And then it turns into a cycle. And then where are you, what are you left with? That's why we're supposed to be taking time also to fill ourselves. It is a hard thing. And obviously life's many tragedies and some bigger than others. It's not necessarily a comparison of sorts. I think once we're in that avenue, it's really not healthy for any of us. However, we should be able to take refuge in knowing that our father is completely for us. And even the times that seem so bleak and so miserable, he's there. He's right there beside us. And he's crying with us. He's mourning with us. And the more we're able to recognize that he sees and he cares, it's not necessarily that you end up thinking, okay, well, this wasn't that bad. It's more you grow around the tragedy that happened to you. You grow bigger than it. You become a bigger spiritual container for it. It's not that it's minimized. It's just that you are expanded. And that was an important shift that I hadn't particularly realized. I thought if something hurt me or I experienced something that was traumatic, I had to be completely okay with what happened. And there is a, there is a twinge of acceptance within that process, but the way I was framing it wasn't necessarily correct and it wasn't, it wasn't productive. It wasn't yielding positive results because it did affect me. But once I switched from thinking this incident had to be minimized to, well, I am expanding and growing, that was when the freedom happened. I was able to use the tools that God was providing me with, which he will, he will give you whatever you ask for. It's just crazy. And sure, it may not be right instant in that moment, but 
if you keep praying again, he, if you ask, he'll give it to you. And we have to be persistent in our prayers as well. It will happen. Sometimes it is right then and there. Sometimes it's exactly what you need to hear in that moment. Trust that he knows how to comfort you and trust that he will comfort you. He's not going to leave you a year out to fend for yourself. That's not what a good father does, right? I want to bring up Romans 5.3. We rejoice in our sufferings because they make us stronger. Think of how life works. How do you get physically stronger? You do things that you would consider hard for you now, but they become easier as you continue doing it. That's almost anything you pursue in this life. And one of my favorite sayings is, smooth seas never made a skilled sailor. There was one time I was crying out to God saying, how could you let this happen? Don't you care that I'm hurting, that I am suffering, that I am absolutely broken over this? And this is a big deal. And he told me, how can I show you that I'll calm any sea for you if you never even see the storm? That didn't mean that all of my problems went away or the situation was fixed, but I did stop and think, well, yeah, I mean, that's not really glorifying if I don't even see what God is capable of. Now, I'm not saying be super happy and I don't, I don't want to get into the realm of toxic positivity here, but I'm saying that if we reframe our thoughts to see every tragedy in our lives as something to strengthen our bond with God, life gets a lot less frustrating because our goal moves from how can I be comfy and satisfied and have the perfect life and have everything go very easily for me to how can I grow from this? What spiritual lesson am I supposed to overcome so I can help a pre-believer do the same thing? Because I was thinking about this and I was talking to a few people and the whole, um, the whole idea that we brought up earlier of if I'm really following God, my life should be perfect then. It should look perfect because that God will reward me. But if that were the case, God would also have to punish you. So we're not going to go down that tangent. But it's a bigger testament to how powerful and how loving God is if even in the worst moments, we still bow down and worship. Because it's easy to love someone who's constantly giving you things. That's fun, but that it is very childish. It's very childish in the way of, well, I'm going to be friends with this kid because he always has extra snacks and he always gives them to me. But as soon as he doesn't have extra snacks, if you have that mindset, you're going to find somebody else. It's no different with our Heavenly Father. It begs the question of, do you love him because he gives you everything you want? Or do you love him because he completely loves and accepts you and values you? exactly as you were created and all of your potential that is stored in you. I would also say that if you're listening to this and you're, you've already given your life to Jesus, just know that we have already won this life. Knowing and accepting Jesus is our, is our one, our one job that we have to do really. So if we, if we do that, everything else is just bonus points. And then when you don't have this pressure of trying to constantly perform or maintain, or you're just, you're trying so hard to work for it, you end up being more useful 
when you don't have that mentality, you can be more useful in helping other people achieve their mission. So I think of it as like their fun side quest. You've already, you've beat your own video game. You've gotten to the highest level and that's loving Jesus. And as long as you stay on that, your game is still won in, in simple, I'm simplifying this a lot. So just please be aware. Um, so this metaphor may not be perfect, but think of the side quests. If you have a pre-believer friend and you get the opportunity to share the gospel and think about it like this, it's coming from someone they enjoy spending time with that they've invested in and you're sharing something so special that's going to be so helpful for them. I can get into another series, which I think I might, another, another topic later of uh, planting seeds in the garden. We can, we can talk about that. But in the meantime, um, forgive me for my tangents. We're going to talk about this last reason, and then we'll go into why this was a necessary topic in the first place. Number six, last and final, last and final one is there is no proof. And I believe solely in science. (laughs) This is one of my absolute favorite reasons And it just, it blows my mind. Like you really think God didn't create science? That he just woke up one day and said, you know what, I'm gonna make this earth and maybe things will make sense. Like, I don't know, we're just gonna leave it up to chance. No, not even close. As if this was all an accident and God doesn't know every single thing about how we work. And let me tell you, I see a lot of a lot of cohesion in his work. It's not a coincidence that there's things like hormones and seasons and personality types and physics and climates, environments, biology, chemistry, galaxies, plate tectonics, anger, love, compassion, math, whatever is in this human experience is all designed by God. All the things that make sense and all the things that we have discovered and all the things that we haven't. He knows every single detail that is, that's even able to be known. He knows. That is truly incredible to me. He made all of it and it makes sense. Even the things we don't even have answers to yet. Humans didn't create any of these things. We just merely discovered them. That's it. And I could believe in all science, except the science that tries to explain away a creator. Because a million years is, is nothing to God. He's outside of time. This is something that he created. We just gave it labels and we made a little system to figure it out for ourselves. But think about it. I'm not trying to disprove or, or even argue in favor, but... Who's to say God didn't use the Big Bang to do any of this? If he, I mean, who's to say that he didn't put dinosaurs on this earth just so we could have fuel for our cars? I don't know the reasoning, and I'm not arguing for what is factually sound or not. I wasn't there, and it's honestly, I'm not too concerned about that. Maybe maybe one of you guys can, can give me the answer to all of these, these other scientific questions. However... I do want to think back on, read Genesis. Look how God spoke and things happened. There's another important side topic about how important words are and how we must speak life over people. But to say that 
there is no God because the science says so, I think that's misguided. I think it's misguided. Praising the creation, which is the universe, and not the creator. I don't know about you, but I, I'm not going to look at my laptop and be like, wow, this creation is so smart. It's just how crazy that it works. No, if I was going to, if I was going to praise something, I'd be like, I'd think who made this computer? That's great. That's where my brain is going. If you have a dissenting opinion, I would love to hear it. However, I think it's foolish to praise the creation and not the creator. There has to be, there has to be a step beyond what is in this existence. And it seems odd to even think like that. Sometimes I feel crazy trying to evangelize because I'm essentially saying, yeah, there's a really cool invisible dad in the sky. He really loves you and he cares about you and he actually died for you. Isn't that wild? (laughs) And obviously maybe I shouldn't say it like that, but you know what I mean. So all in all, those are the six reasons that I have, that I've seen in my life whenever I've asked people, why don't they believe in God? And everyone has a valid reason. We are all made up of different experiences, um, different upbringings, different personality types, different environments that made us who we are. And everyone is searching for something. I, I see where these people are coming from. And it's up to us, the ones who know the truth, to help them uncover it for themselves. The devil is the one co-authoring sin and tragedies with the people on this earth. He wants to do everything in his power to influence our choice to be evil. To do things like rejecting our natural affinity for love and to choose these fleeting pleasures of his temporary world in exchange for our forever with God. And you know what his ideal situation in your life is? For you to never even know he exists. I read that in The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Great read, really, really wonderful illustration. It's a fun illustration of spiritual warfare and such. So if you haven't read it, also would recommend that to you. As well as Mere Christianity, this, this topic's touched on as well. The devil's goal is to trick you in any way he can. Through all of these six reasons, by the way, it does not matter. And it, it goes even beyond these six reasons. These are just the ones that I've experienced in, in my personal life. It goes beyond any, all of these reasons, whatever reason that sticks, he's happy with. As long as you do not see the truth, that you do not know who Jesus Christ is or don't believe in who he is, or you believe some other lie that he can get you to focus on. That's all it is. That's all it is. The scariest part of this entire master, this evil master plan that Satan has is the devil does sound a lot like you. He speaks in your voice. He uses the same phrases. And you know what? The more we turn away from God, the more Satan begins to know us. Because he can watch too. He can't be everywhere. He's not omnipotent the the same way God is. But he's there. And devil don't sleep either. But our father is so much more powerful than he could ever dream. We need to be aware of the devil's plan That way, when we do speak to pre-believers, I'm really proud of myself for that cute little term. (laughs) When we do speak to pre-believers, we want to keep that in mind so we know how to speak to them in a way that isn't 
We don't shame them. We don't make them feel inferior or dumb or misguided because it's really just they're they're blinded in this sense. They have something that they want to hold on to and it's not they're not willing to let it go yet. This will hopefully bring us into our next topic of how to talk to pre-believers, how to evangelize of sorts and make connections with people, be able to share the gospel and not be ashamed and things like that. To sum everything up, whatever there's also another another element that I think is quite important to acknowledge. And that would be when I brought up the other example of the book by Jay Shetty, Think Like a Monk, as I was reading this, it was a little unsettling and eerie in a way, because a lot of what Jay Shetty is talking about is a lot of those themes that are in this book are present in the Bible. And it's very easy to think, okay, well, I can just follow this because I'm still being a good person. This is still good and this is still true. But you're missing the entire point that the Gospels talk about of God sacrificed his only son for you. And you miss the whole why we're worshiping him in the first place. That he gave us a way to beat death. So that when our physical bodies die, our spirit lives on with him in eternity in perfect harmony. And that's the scariest thing of, I want us as Christians to be aware. The enemy, he's pretty smart sometimes. He's pretty smart because he puts just enough truth in his lies to get you hooked. So you think, oh, but look, this does work and it might just work. As long as he removes the Jesus part of it, that's still good enough for him. That's still good enough for him. And that's why I brought up the reasons like think like a monk or if there's any other quote unquote peaceful religion, because a lot of those principles are in the Bible. They do talk about forgiveness. They do talk about the greater good. And these are, these are good things, the same good things that Paul also mentions. However, when you take away the element of Jesus, that's when they can become, I don't necessarily want to call it evil, but I'm going to say evil just because it's lacking God. And that whole idea of you are the God of your own, of this universe and this existence, which again, not true. So another thing to consider, there is just enough truth in these lies to get people to turn away from Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to be aware of when we are sharing the truth with non-believers. Well guys, thanks for tuning in. Really, I am going to try my best to get on a regular schedule because I did start out like that and then life kind of got in the way. But also I did want to plug a little bit and now I get why, why YouTubers do this. I made an Instagram account for this podcast and if you want to drop me topic suggestions or questions you have any idea for a possible episode or even a series i am very open to suggestions and comments critiques criticisms kudos whatever you are willing to give because again um while i did start this project for for myself just to be obedient and be consistent and learn new things. I do want this to be helpful to people 
in as many ways as I possibly can. So just know I do value your feedback and I do value you tuning in with me every almost Monday. <laughs> Until then, this is Nikki Del Sol. I'm signing off.